0: All right, good to go?
1: Yes. I yeah, I have been. Still good yeah. to go.
0: I'm
1: still I'm still here. Yep. Okay. Okay.
0: This is episode eighty-five of the EdTech Takeout from Grantwood AEA. My name's Jonathan Wiley, and I'm here with Mindy Carney once again.
1: Once again, last podcast of twenty twenty.
0: Yes, it is. We uh, kind of teased this at the end of the last one. Will there be another one? Will there be? Everyone was on the edge of their seats. We honestly did not know if there would be or not, but here we are. are. And I think we have a good episode to share with people today.
1: Yeah, I mean, we may be a month late of National Tech Nugget Day. But because we're the only ones who celebrate National Tech Nugget Day, <laughs> then we also can legally move the date to whatever the date is today. Whatever it is. I don't even know.
0: I feel like that's reasonable, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, before we get started on our pack of nuggets, should we do some news and follow-up?
0: Let's do some news and follow-up. Yeah. Okay. Uh, First thing I put on the list here was follow-up in regards to our, I don't know, I, I, sometimes I've told people this was kind of a prickly conversation we had last time yeah. on the podcast yeah. um, regarding yeah. Google Expeditions going away. So right. I think Amber shared this perhaps with yes, us.
1: Yes, I think maybe. It
0: was Donnie Piercy, who has mm-hmm. a video on YouTube about how to create a kind of pseudo- classroom-led virtual tour experience using Pear Deck, right? Okay. So he has um, slides inside of Google Slides where he has the name of the places that he is uh, showing Mm -hmm. and he adds a link to the slide using Pear Deck, which all of our teachers in Iowa have access to for free Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um, he gets that link from a Google uh, map um, image and because that is like in a 360 virtual um, image, when you put that in through Pear Deck, it shows his slide on one side with the name of the place that the kids are looking at. And then they have this um, 360 image, kind of similar to Google Expeditions, that they can pan and scan through. And he could be talking about that uh, during the class so I think that's an interesting kind of workaround. We haven't got the yeah. Google expeditions into arts and culture yet that I know of, but maybe right. once they go in there, you could start pulling some of those expeditions in there mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, you know, and I always think it's interesting when people like pair those things together. Like, I don't know that I would have thought about doing something like that. And that's why I always think it's so neat when people share that stuff out, because it's not something I would have thought about doing. So thank you to Donnie for sharing that out to the world and helping people maybe process a little bit about what to do now that Google Expeditions is going away.
0: Yeah, I think his brain just works a bit differently, especially on on those geo tool things. He's like super clued in and he knows all the workarounds for those.
1: Yeah, right.
0: Well, speaking of Pear Deck, we've got some Pear Deck yeah. news here. Yeah. Um, I guess the first one is not necessarily all that consequential, but maybe just put it out there, because I know we have schools using both of these, but mm-hmm. Pear Deck and GoGuardian have merged, and they are now yeah. one company.
1: Yeah. What does that mean? Do you know? Did you ever um, like read a little bit about what that means for Pear Deck? What does that mean for Pear Deck?
0: I think immediately that doesn't mean very much at all. Much, it's just right? business yeah. as usual. I think they're just pulling their resources and ideas yeah. and going to work together as uh, a new company moving forward. But um, Pear Deck as it is, is staying as Pear Deck, I guess.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's the gist I got too. I just didn't know if you had ever read anything about it. But it sounded like there probably are ideas in the works, mm-hmm. but nothing that they're sharing yet from my understanding. Yeah. Um, Pear Deck also had a pretty amazing little update that I'm sure let teachers rejoice everywhere, and that was that teachers now can um, have a shared teacher dashboard. So if you've ever used a Pear Deck with another you know, practitioner of some sort, it's not possible for you to both manage it together. So what's really nice now is you can uh, share your dashboard with another teacher. And actually, I'm gonna—I went in and tried this today, um, because I'm gonna use it tomorrow. Fingers crossed to oh, see how okay. it goes. Um, but one thing that I—I'm not gonna complain about it because I think this is a really great addition. But knowing me, I'm gonna complain a little bit is that you have to share—you can't share the link until you've already. Like made a live session, so you have to start the lesson before you can share the link with the teacher. Okay, which maybe isn't as smooth as I like. I was like, oh, I can send this link to you know Corey now, and we can, and she can just have it, whatever. Um, which I guess I could. The thing about it is that to me, most of the time, I think those lessons are probably started, you know. I don't know, in the time that you're getting going where, I mean, I just started that lesson today and it's still running. And so that link then I can share with the teacher, I think is good for a week I saw. Um, but it's, what I didn't think was super intuitive about it either was I kind of had to go and find where it was at. So once you go into that launch screen and the, um, code is there to share with your students, it's like in the three little dots and there you can, um, share the link with your co-teacher but i'm excited to give it a try and just see how fluid it is between the two because sometimes stuff like that works really well and sometimes it doesn't so i'm excited to give it a try
0: i'm excited to hear how you get on with it maybe it could be (laughs) follow-up from 2021 maybe mindy tries it yeah
1: Yeah. mindy tries it out all right what else you
2: got
0: i have a new feature for we video because i know we have some we video schools and some Mm we video listeners They are now doing live collaboration and editing in real time inside their video editor. Which I think is cool. cool. They always yeah. had a collaboration feature where, you know, you could collaborate on the same project as somebody, but you weren't okay. allowed to be in the same time as somebody else. Now, okay. if you look at it and I haven't had a chance to experiment with it yet, but I've seen the screenshots and you can see it's almost like Google Docs where you see like a little person's icon of their head on a certain mm-hmm. track, and that's the the video that they're working with or editing with. So mm-hmm. I think especially in this uh Remote learning, hybrid learning, face-to-face learning, all this kind of social distance learning that we um, have access to that inside a Wii video. So it is a Wii video for schools uh, feature, though. So if you're using the free account, it's not going to be available to you. But for those of you that do have access to Mm -hmm. it, nice one to have.
1: Yeah, that's a good one. Um, Oh, yeah, a couple of Jamboard updates. I don't know, the first one you'll have to talk about, the second one, um, I just saw this yesterday, is now there is version history available in Jamboards. What I thought was super interesting, so I kind of looked into this a little bit um, today, was that if you go into version history, first of all, you have to do it with a keyboard shortcut. Is that, un- is that right? So you have to use either um, Command, Option, Shift, H. It, it's a lot of you keys. remember that. <laughs> it's a lot of keys. Oh, my gosh. On a Mac or Control-Alt-Shift-H on a PC. Um, so what I saw about this, though, is that it doesn't actually do all of the version history. Okay. They call it pruned version history.
0: They call it what? Pruned. Pruned? Pruned.
1: Like, you know, like your fingers get pruned in the water. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it doesn't do all of them. It just, it prunes them down and only shares some of them. I read that in the comments from someone when I was um, looking at, I think I I originally saw this on, mm, who, who did I see this from? I don't know. Um, But I read in the comments and somebody said, oh, I just wanted to try this. But it says that the um, comments have, or the reversion, the version history has been pruned down. So there you have it. You heard it here first, folks. I don't know what that means. I saw
0: this on Twitter, and it just kind of popped up, and people were making graphics and stuff. And I'll link link to one of those, but it's like, yeah, is this always been here, and just somebody just found the screenshot? Somebody just found the shortcut? I don't know.
1: I don't know either.
0: Because Jamboard is a little bit different from other Google tools because it doesn't have things like File and Edit and Tool and all those menu things along the top. So right. there's no way to access file version history without right. this keyboard shortcut. So it makes me wonder, yeah. I don't know. Somebody yeah, must have got it tipped off that it was there or has added it. But maybe. I don't know. There you go.
1: Anyway, but you're going to have to like write that on a Post-it note because you're never going to remember it.
0: Most probably, Yeah. Um, so um, the other Jamboard update, and I think we talked about this in an earlier episode, but it's just okay. starting to roll out now, is the ability to set custom backgrounds inside a Jamboard now. So before you had options like dots and lines and colors, but yeah. now you can mm-hmm. upload an image um, yourself. Nice. Um, it can be something you take a picture from your camera, you can do a Google
3: mm-hmm. image
0: search, uh, you can take it from Google Drive, or you can upload it from nice. your computer. So if you want to make those um um, what, what are those like, called? What, what are those called? I don't know. Um, graphic organizers? Yes, graphic organizers. So <laughs> if you want to make graphic organizers and things like that, you can upload those uh, those those templates on there too. So there you go.
1: Yeah, it'd be a nice way to help organize that a little bit or give it a little bit of guidance. If you've got kids who are just, everyone's loading stuff in there, it'd be nice to have like spots for them to put their stuff. So. Um, all right. Last, is this the last one? I'm not looking at the, it um, is the last. last one. Okay. Last update is that Flipgrid has, um, recently added a couple new things. You can create rosters through your Google classroom, which I thought was yeah, fine. Great. Um, it also now just has the mic only mode, which I think is kind of late coming, but is nice to have, um, I think they kind of did a lot of work around with the pixelated view that they had been using prior to this. But now um, just mic only, which I think is great.
0: Um, One of the things I thought was interesting about the Google roster from Classroom thing was that you can create a topic and then you know where you get to choose like your 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 privacy options for who has access yeah. to it. You yeah. can just select your Google Classroom class, and that well, okay. automatically gives those people access. So yeah, that's kind of a nice quick way of just making sure everybody you want to have permission has permission and, and get it. Yeah, as opposed to having to link add them one by one, right? Yeah.
1: yeah. All right.
0: So there you go. So there we go. News and updates. There
1: they are. Yeah. News and updates done. Check. All right, so up next, Serve to You Piping Hot, our main course, which is a box of Christmas nuggets. Yay! So the whole team kind of is chiming in on tech nuggets for this episode, which is kind of fun. We haven't done... I feel like we did this forever ago. Do you remember way back? Was it our first year, maybe even, where we did something like What's Under Your Christmas Tree or something like that? And it was... um, what teachers might might wish for for Christmas, and that was kind of fun. But uh, So we're doing a little bit of a twist on that with everyone giving Christmas nuggets.
0: And some of these nuggets might be um, things you've heard of and some of them might not be yeah. things you've heard of. But yeah. I think there's some really interesting takes on some of these nuggets on here too. Yeah. So um, it's nice to have their voices here just uh, in the podcast to explain and, and put some of these out in, in a different way. So should we start with... Beth's
1: Yeah, let's start with Beth.
4: I would like to call myself a content curator. Well, honestly, that's just a fancy name for a digital hoarder. And in the last 10 plus years that I've been in ed tech, you can kind of imagine how much stuff, how much digital stuff I have hoarded over those years. And I admit that one of my guilty obsessions is hoarding blogs. I've seen a lot of blogs appear and disappear. I subscribe to them for a while and then I stop or they stop over the past 10 plus years. But one of the blogs that I have kept coming back to again and again and again is called The Cult of Pedagogy. This blog is written by Jennifer Gonzalez. She's the editor-in-chief. She's a past middle school ELA teacher. She also has writers from across the United States. So it gives a really interesting look, snapshot of what um, is going on across the US in some of her blog posts, which I really appreciate. One of the things that I like the most about this blog is that it stands apart in its organization. Most blogs are created chronologically. So each time you get a post, it's if you scroll down the blog, it appears above whatever the past post is. But the cult of pedagogy is not organized that way. Instead, when you go to the blog, it is set up into categories. The categories include the craft, which has instruction, classroom management, and technology as the big rocks, and in each of those areas, there's a whole variety of um, blog posts you can dig into. The second kind of big category is going deeper, exploring the theory beyond the classroom, and then the teacher soul, which is a great um, area to explore, which kind of goes into more the personal side of teaching. So I I really like the organization, but I also really, really like the content. Recently, um, there was a post called How to Teach When Everyone is Scattered. This was written in late September, and she goes through a fantastic lineup of suggestions that she has crowdsourced from teachers across the United States of things that were working in late September. So there's a real current topics but there's also very timeless topics. One of the blog posts that I have spent a lot of time in this um, fall is one about single point rubrics. I've been working on a project with a couple of my colleagues that we've been talking a lot about single point rubrics, what they mean, what they're, what they, how to use them in the classroom. The blog post um, from Cult of Pedagogy was actually written in February of 2015. This is a fantastic blog post. It goes through what is a single point rubric, gives examples, explains how to use it, and how to create them. I feel like it really gives an idea. I mean, this was written five years ago, and the, the content is as current as if it was written yesterday. Those kinds of things coming together really make me spend time inside of Cult of Pedagogy and want to learn more. It's one of the blogs that I subscribe to. I look forward to blog entries appearing in my email feed and showing me what what the Cult of Pedagogy is thinking all about now. So as a digital hoarder, this is definitely one of the, the nuggets that I come back to again and again.
0: All right, so Beth shared a great um, website. It's actually one of my favorite ones, too, Cult of Pedagogy. Yeah. If you're not yep. already subscribed or listening to that stuff, then um, Jennifer does some great things. And um, yeah. open invite for Jennifer to be a guest on the podcast. I think yeah. she'd be <laughs> no uh, fantastic. That. Yeah.
1: yeah, for sure. All right, so what about you? You have a tech nugget?
0: All right, I will start with... A new one to mm. me. I don't know if it's a new okay. one to everyone, but I feel like this is kind of okay. a new tool that mm. just came out recently, and it's yes. called Blukit.
1: Blukit? Have you heard
0: of Blukit, Mindy?
1: Is that really how you say it?
0: I think that is you how know? you say it, because if oh, you look on their website rather oh, okay. rather handily, they have a little button there that says pronunciation.
4: <laughs> oh, oh, I love that. <laughs>
0: That's exactly because all these ed tech companies start up with these yes. unusual names, and you go, "What? Yeah. what is that even? And then... They have it there for you. So it will say Blukit. Blukit, Blukit, Blukit.
1: Okay.
0: Um, Blukit, when I first saw it, I thought, oh, okay, so it's another Kahoot type. Thing, which it kind okay. of is in a in a in its way. It's like a kind of formative assessment type thing. It's a gamified learning type platform here. Mm-hmm. I think what makes mm-hmm. Blokus a little bit differently are um, the different game modes that you have inside the the game itself. So once you start the okay. game, you can choose to play it in one of four different uh, game modes. So you can play it solo, or you can play it you know whole class together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I'll see if I can remember a couple of the game modes. One of them was like a cafe. And uh, customers come into the cafe and they're after things like, you know, a slice of toast or something like that. And in order for you to serve them toast, you have to answer a question. And if you get the question Mm -hmm. right, you get some toast that you can give to your customers. And as you keep uh, answering correct questions, you get more and more toast and you give them to the customers. And then they give you money and that you can Mm -hmm. use that virtual money to upgrade your cafe and get more things Mm -hmm. for your cafe. So I know it's... um, you know similar to some of these uh types of you know apps you'll get where you you sure. you answer questions and you play a game and it's not quite yeah, right. the same way but i think it's just kind of motivating for kids because i know my kids play that on uh, my kids are really into roblox i don't know if your kids play oh roblox my gosh, yes.
5: but they have all these
0: types of games on there where you run a yeah. run a restaurant or you you know do all this kind of stuff and so it's similar yeah. to that Um, they had another one that was, um, you answer questions and if you get them correctly, you get, um, a card and it's kind of like a, like a Pokemon card, you know, and it's got like skills on there, like what they're good at and what they're not good at. And then you collect all the cards and after the end, um, you answer more questions, but then this time you're actually dueling with the computer and you unveil a card and they unveil a card and the person with the strongest card wins and, and this kind of thing. So it's just a nice kind of, Twist, you can create your own question sets, or you can search the community and see what they have for their question sets.
1: Interesting. Hmm. Blook it.
0: Mm-hmm. Blook it, blook it, blook it.
1: I love it. All right. Um, so my tech nugget is um, a website that I came across um, through Virtual ISTE, and it's from Birdseed. And it's called the differentiator. And I thought this was pretty valuable um for our, you know, 2020 times, COVID times, because um with Bloom's taxonomy, there's lots of um, there's lot there's different categories depending on the different aspects of learning. So um i think it allows some differentiation as well and i with just the terms that you use with students so instead of using the word understanding it gives a couple different ideas of ways that kids could show understanding but how they might do that so one of them might be to Um, classify different objects, or maybe they're going to um, discuss two different topics or something like that. Um, Under creating, you could use the word assemble. You could use the word design. And so using those words to create prompts for your students allows them to maybe choose something that best fits their learning style or um, how they might want to um, show you evidence of their learning, and so I really thought it was kind of a quick, easy, one-click way to get to um, some different ideas of how to differentiate for your students. Um, there's also um, a couple different um, categories beyond that, which is so. Let me let me just do one talk about one other category on here, which is products, which I think is great because. Um, Once again, allowing students to have some choice. They might choose different kinds of representation for their learning. And so um, a couple different ideas in here, like in the multimedia category, would be to create a song or to create a video travelogue, which I think is kind of fun. Um, They might create a TV show. So just different ideas that um, might not take as much brain power for the teacher. You know, I can go and look at this and be like, oh, I hadn't thought about, you know, allowing this choice or giving these two choices. And so um, what I really liked about it is just it's all kind of one here, right here in one spot. It's not messy. It's not complicated. It's just lists of ideas, um, which I think is really good for kids who might be needing just a little bit of choice or a little bit more engagement um, and and makes that choice building a little bit easier for the teacher.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of like, you know, when we talked about building choice boards and then, you know, yep, you want right. different e- different types of choices on there. So there's one for visual, mm-hmm. there's one for making something, there's one for oral, and there's one for multimedia, and there's one for written. Mm-hmm. So yeah, lots of mm-hmm. different ways for students yeah. to show what they know. Yeah, I also thought that thinking skill tab... It reminded me of uh, something I tend to look up when I'm uh, creating course proposals. It's like adjectives for participants will be able to (laughs) describe, discuss, explain, identify. (laughs) So it helps me. Also
1: great for writing goals. Yes, there you go. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: All right, should we go back and hear from another one of our teammates? Actually, maybe we should do two at once here.
1: Oh, okay. Let's do that.
0: Because Amber and Gina have both got... um, whiteboard tools.
1: Yeah, both same category, right?
0: Let's hear from Amber first, who's going to talk about Jamboard.
5: I feel like the tool that I've been talking a lot about in 2020, even pre-COVID, is Jamboard. Not only do I love that each individual new created one is called my jam, so I could open it up and be like, that's my jam. But the tool does so many amazing things. It started out real simply, uh, using this to talk with science teachers about creating a driving question board where a student would watch a phenomena and then add their questions on the sticky notes. And then the teacher could change up this driving question board daily and you could categorize them and move and group questions in different ways to get kids to really think about what's happening The fact that you can not only just add sticky notes, but also draw or add shapes to a jam board makes it a super versatile tool. And I love that on an iPad or a touchpad or a touchscreen Chromebook, uh, you could also use those drawing features really natively um, as they have the fantastic auto-draw feature built within, which as you start to draw an object, it will guess what it is that you're trying to draw and then replace it with a super cute uh, doodle. As well as the fact that they added in text boxes this year That really moved Jamboard even higher up on my list. But what I will say, um, that once COVID happened, that as you think about the use of Jamboard as a way to get kids to be able to collaborate when they're not all supposed to touch the same things. So I was, uh... I had a teacher reach out to me, uh, Emma Brenneman from Mid Prairie, who took a card sorting activity that she used to do with physical cards, and she actually transformed that and put that onto a Jamboard so that students could still do that card sorting and still do it collaboratively, but yet still be safe. And so that makes it a really awesome tool for me. My only wish would be that Google would listen to my Christmas wish and add an easier way to add hyperlinks onto a Jamboard. I think that may make it the most perfect tool.
6: Hi there, this is Gina Rogers. The Tech Nugget that I want to share today is a tool that was introduced to me from my friends in Iowa City um, on their innovation team, and it is called Whiteboard.chat. It is a great tool for collaboration between students. Um, It's very similar in nature to jamboard in that um, it provides this like collaborative white space or whiteboard space for um, students to to work in. The one thing that's really nice about whiteboard.chat chat um, is that it allows a teacher to um, start a project or start something on a whiteboard and then duplicate that out to students. And every single student um, can have their own page or their own whiteboard that only they can edit in whiteboard.chat. And so it's definitely one worth checking out. And I um, definitely would. Again, it's a whiteboard.chat. And we'll also share some resources
1: on that in the show notes. Thanks. (laughs) So two great whiteboard tools, right? And I love that Amber kind of puts it in that science lens for us and talks a little bit about um, students sharing their um, different ideas through a science lens. Now, Gina, on the other hand, shares a little bit about whiteboard
0: chat. And this is like a brand new tool for me. I've never yeah, seen right. this one before. But the more I looked at it, the more I thought, this is freaking awesome. I feel like this is what Jamboard probably uh, should be one day when it grows up a little bit more. But Mm
5: -hmm. it
0: is a great way to um, use uh, whiteboards collaboratively, I think. And it was built for, you know, that teacher and the coach to come in here and see all the whiteboards at one time, you know, almost like you can in Pear Deck. And uh, collaborate that way too so i think that's a really powerful tool i'm it's on my to-do list to um explore a little bit more and i didn't know about it until gina did that little bit for us so thank you gina yeah, she really well. takes
1: the cake with this one doesn't she yeah. all right so let's see what's next on my tech nugget list here um i'm going to go with oh this is another one i got from Misty. so um This was from Alan November, and it was new to me, but maybe it's not new to the world. I don't know. And it's called Perusal. And what Perusal kind of reminded me of, um, and I'm not like an actively learned expert by any means, but it's this tool where like an e-book platform of sorts where you can have collaborative annotation. Um, And what I... From my understanding, when I look through it, is that you can upload anything to it as long as you have permission to do so. You can, um, I believe they also work with publishing companies. So if you do purchase a digital copy of a book, they will work with the publishing company to have that brought into this platform for you and for your class. And it's completely free. Yeah. I kept looking like, where is the price? Where's the price while here? <laughs> yeah. And I I could not find it anywhere. So I really do think that it's free, um, which I think is is definitely worth looking at. Um, and and I think, you know, the the lens that when um Alan November was sharing it was just that with our students being distanced, it still allows us to have this social work around um text. And so you can you know, share anytime, any place with your annotations and students can reply and respond to each other's questions. And then it sends it to them in an email, which they can respond back to through an email. So if I'm on the go and I receive a response to some of my annotation, I can see that response and also reply to it without having to like log myself in. And I think that's really nice too, especially for you know, our ki- for anyone who's yeah, on the go definitely. all of the time, you know, um, that not having to log in or hop on your computer and still being able to do it through your phone or something like that. So, uh, yeah, it's perusal. It's P-E-R-U-S and then all, A-L-L. So it might be something to look into, um, especially, I mean, I think Actively Learn has a lot of great, great aspects to it. Um, and it probably is more powerful than than Perusal. But if you're looking to try something like that out and, and want to try this, I think it might be worth it.
0: Yeah, it's a great tool. I'm just uh, looking at their website here. It says it was developed following a four-year research project at Harvard University. So there's a lot of smart people working on yeah. this. And like you said, oh, yeah. it's, it's yeah. strange that this is completely free, but it is. Yeah, so,
1: yeah, no catch. and I, um, I think I saw somewhere that, and they're also not sponsored by anybody i don't think they're like this is just a pro- like just a brain project that we're working on so i thought that was interesting yeah yeah all right all right what do you got
0: you know, in, in the UK, there's, uh, I, I got brought up. No, with, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. In the UK, I got brought up with like Monty Python and they used to do a sketch oh, okay. show. And one of their things they said okay. would be now for something completely different. So this is <laughs> completely different to Perusal, but I guess it's still okay. in the arts uh, sphere because oh. I'm going to share Pixel Art, okay. um, which is a really interesting kind of, uh, creation mm-hmm. website I found. Okay. I, I know. My daughter's been into this a little bit, this type of artwork where mm-hmm. it's like retro video games. I mean, yeah, from, um, from our youth, Mindy, you know, or at yeah, least from, yeah. from my youth anyway. Well, I mean, you're much you're, older than Exactly. I am, right? So, you know, if you come to <laughs> pixelart.com and you hit start drawing, you can jump straight into this, um, little editor here and you create drawings with pixels, basically, and you uh-huh. can, um, see examples that they have on here already. But there's a number of different tools here. There's brush tools and pen tools and erasers and colors and crops. And you can do layers as well on top of these things. But all of this can be saved here on their website. And one of the, nice. the, one of the things I like about it there is right on the front page, front and center there's a button that says teacher and parents guidance. And I'm like okay, I'm Ooh. scared to click this one here because they're going to yeah. say not for kids. But actually what right. they're saying is kind of the opposite because they want uh-huh. it to be for kids of all ages. I mean they, nice. they do say if you're under 13 you should have a parent or guardian sign up but mm-hmm. um, they have uh, no private conversations on there. They have a swearing filter which Mindy's. <laughs> He's going to check nice. and test later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I will. <laughs> everything that is um, uploaded is checked, so they don't allow any offensive material that that might be you know, not appropriate for school. Mm-hmm. Um, So it's basically a very child-friendly type of thing, and it's just all focused on the art. So you can just see scrolling through that front page. There's some fantastic-looking things on there that people created. So
1: really something. You need need patience
0: for it, but um, yeah, yeah, for sure. It's a little clicks. Mm -hmm. There you go. So that's pixel art.
1: All right, so let's move into our next teammates, Tech Nugget, coming from Corey Rogers.
7: Let's hear from Corey. My tech nugget for 2020 are Birdbrain Technologies Remote Robots. They are robots that you can view and program in real time. So why I love, love, love these is that it is a chance for students to experience physical computing, no matter what your instructional model looks like. So what we're hearing from teachers is that it's really hard sometime with physical computing devices To use them in a socially distanced classroom because you don't want kids to feel tempted to be too close to each other, and teachers are really worried about sanitizing. And using these kits in a way that helps to keep kids safe and mitigates disease transfer. And if you're in a remote setting or a virtual setting, you don't have enough equipment or the ability to send those out to students at home. And so these remote robots are an awesome opportunity for kids to continue to experience uh, physical computing, even when we don't have the devices readily available. The other thing that's really nice about physical computing is it engages kids in the algorithm and programming standards and the computing system standards that requires kids to understand how hardware and software all work together and interface. So it's a great opportunity to continue computer science learning, even though instruction looks a little different this year. So teachers can find this at birdbraintechnologies.com forward slash remote dash robots if they're curious or they want to connect to these Um, and so I think what's really exciting for teachers especially for Iowa teachers is if they received the making stem connections scale up they have a hummingbird robotics kit already accessible to them so if you've had the kit and you've been using them with students in the past this is a great way to extend learning kids can take what they know about those hummingbird robotics kits and apply it to the remote robots If you're a teacher that got the making stem scale up connection and you weren't really sure what to do with that robotics kit so you never used it, this might be a nice way to introduce those to students so that they have an idea of what these hummingbird robotics can do so that when you're back in a setting when you can get those kits out, you are ready to go. I think that these um, remote robots provide a great opportunity for problem solving, um, for kids to be engaged in computer science, and frankly, it's just really cool to hit the run button on your program, the little flag, and then you wait just a tiny bit, and then you get to see your code come to life. It gives students an opportunity to collaborate and to debug their code. Uh, The other really nice thing about this website is that these robots are available 24-7. So students aren't tied to a synchronous meeting time or a scheduled appointment to be coding the robots. If they go to the website and the robot is available, they can be coding whenever they want. And last thing I would say is if you're a teacher that has the Hummingbird Robotics kits and you're curious if you could do this yourself, there are instructions there for you to build your own robot. Um, What I would like to say to everyone is that from my family to yours, I hope that you have a holiday season that is filled with love and laughter and rejuvenation. I hope that you get some time to relax and to unwind and to get a much needed break so that you can start the new year off fresh and ready to go. And I hope that 2020 is full of health and happiness for everyone.
1: Well, Corey really speaks a different language, doesn't she? I was about <sighs> to ask you, Mindy,
0: you know, how much do you know about hummingbird remote robots?
1: Oh, I, you know, I not, they kind of scare me a little bit. And then I talked to Corey and I'm like, you know what, this doesn't seem so bad.
0: I mean, exactly.
1: but this, these, uh, remote robots are really something. I think it's really neat the idea of being able to code from afar and then watch it happen you know.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's it's one of these, another great example of how pe- how companies and things are, are adapting and, and flexing mm-hmm. to the current reality. And it's like, yeah, yeah, we can totally do that. So Yeah, right, right. So we've got a link for everything that Corey talked about there on how you can um, code your hummingbird uh, robots remotely. Um, so check that one out.
1: All right. All right, now what you got?
0: Um, okay, I'm going to veer away Ooh. from the harvard um educated <laughs> researched ones to something a little trivial um okay. but i think this this intrigued me a little bit because i'd seen this more and more on youtube and i thought how do you do that so apparently now you can add chapters to your progress bar inside of youtube so i don't know if you've ever seen these um videos maybe you want to try it on some of your um think make innovate videos but yeah sure on that uh bar that you scan through along the top and the bottom you can separate your video into chunks or sections and I think if you're making like instructional videos for students it lets them in theory you know jump to the section they want to see or go back and rewatch just that one section. So in order to do that it's, it's all down to timestamps that you put in the description of your YouTube video. So your first one has to be 00:00 colon zero zero, and then you would make that introduction And then when your next section starts at like 1 colon 25, you type the next thing in. And after you put all those um, timestamps in your description, YouTube automatically recognizes those and just um, puts them along your progress bar on
5: the
0: the YouTube video. So just a quick, easy way to jump to different sections or label different sections so that people know what they're um, listening to and, and what's coming up next, I guess, too.
1: Which I always think you, I mean, not always, because I know it can be kind of time consuming, but I think it's always nice to have that in your description anyway, or in the notes of your um, video, so people can fast forward to parts that they want, especially for a longer videos. So the fact that YouTube is taking that and actually putting it into the video for like stopping points is nice.
0: Yeah. Or if mm. you wanted to like link to a specific part of the video when they're talking yeah. about something, oh, yeah. you've got the timestamps sure. on there now that you can just nice. right click on that exact part. Huh.
1: I like that a lot. Okay. All right, so I have um, two nuggets that kind of go together here. I would put these two together because I feel like they work really well on Zoom calls. Okay. One of them is the custom cursor. So it's a Chrome extension, and it turns your cursor into like, I don't know, like a glowing candy cane, perhaps, or a glowing Christmas tree or a birthday cake, something like that. Mm -hmm. So if you have um, younger students, it might be a fun thing to use – um, in a Zoom call. Now, my recommendation wouldn't be that you would use this all of the time, like on your smart board. It might be kind of distracting for students, but in a Zoom call, it might be something that could be kind of fun and engaging. The other thing that I think it was best once shared with me is the Confetti Canon. Have you tried this?
0: Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay. Okay. So it's also a Chrome extension. It would not work like in your Zoom. Call per se, it will work if you're sharing your screen on Zoom. So what happens when you click on this Chrome extension called Confetti Cannon is that it blows confetti on your screen. So it rains down on your Google Doc or your slide deck or whatever you're sharing on your screen that has to be, you know... On the internet. (laughs) Um, So it could be a fun thing if kids are sharing, they get, you'll, you know, toss confetti for them because they shared today or, you know, use their voice today or whatever. So I thought they were, might be two fun things to try on a Zoom call. So both of them, Chrome extensions. First one called Custom Cursor, and the second one called Confetti Canon.
0: I'm just glad you gave some context to them now and saying using them in a Zoom call because I look at custom (laughs) cursor and I think that's the comic sans of Chrome extensions right there. Because
1: (laughs) (laughs) I made the recommendation that it wouldn't. I mean, I feel like in a Zoom call, it's okay. It's probably not best practice um, with your students like on your smart board all of the time. I imagine it could be super distracting, but in a Zoom call.
0: I think once your students find this, they'll, they'll all be using custom cursors. and They'll be using pizza and, <laughs> oh, and sneakers. And,
1: okay, well, maybe don't use yeah. it. I don't know, no, but it, I was like, fine. oh, I could see some purpose with this. I it's think kind so, of too. Fun. I think it, it, yeah. you're
0: looking for ways to catch people's eye and keep them engaged. Yeah. So, hey, you could change yeah. up your cursor for every time you share your screen. and. <laughs>
1: Yeah, Who knows? Right. or maybe the, you know, maybe your a kid gets to choose, you know, every zoom oh, call, you, get you to go. change your cursor, mm-hmm. you could choose, you know, and I don't know. But it's just something to think about.
0: Okay, let's think okay. about that.
1: All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So our next two nuggets that we kind of have put together here come from Diana gears and also from Stacy Beeper. So should we hear from Diana first?
0: Yeah, I don't know if everyone knows Diana. We we haven't right. had her on the podcast before, but she's our teacher librarian at Grandwood yeah? so, Day. Right. And she's going to talk about Google Forms. Okay. And Stacy Beamer is going to follow that up with another Google related product, which is everybody's <laughs> favorite, Pear Deck.
1: Pear Deck. Hi,
2: this is Diana. And I'm going to talk about Google Forms, even though it's not new and some of us have taken surveys ourselves on Google Forms and created them. I want to talk about how to use them for interaction with students and engagement. One thing that they can be used for is formative assessment in the form of an exit ticket so that you can look at their answers to some important learning and plan your next step in their learning journey. It also could be used as formative Throughout the learning process, if you have blended learning, asynchronous learning, as students reach certain milestones, they can provide feedback of their learning, and you can get that as they're getting to those milestones. Students are also able to create their own Google surveys, and they can do this for so many different reasons. If you're in math and you're wanting them to have some data to graph, they can take some ownership by getting data from their peers and using that to make some analysis of the data. They can also take the results and they can see the results in different ways, such as in a Wordle, um, on a graph. So there's a lot of different ways they can do that. Another thing they can do is they can make Choose Your Own Adventure Paths. And so this could be in a regular story format, but it also could be when they're applying concepts that are being learned, for instance, in science, if they're learning about different chemical reactions, uh, maybe they work together with a partner on this form and come up with questions, and then the form can branch into different outcomes, depending on the choices that people make as they're on their survey, and they're going through and making um, decisions, and then their path their adventure changes based on that choice they made. Also could be used as a collaborative um, reflection guide. So let's say they are learning, they are reading or watching a video and there are different places for them to stop and summarize or reflect. And then all of those are compiled together. So first of all, it provides that interactive kind of uh, bouncing ideas off each other and seeing what others thought then that could also then become a study guide if they're going to have a larger assessment or want to do something to reflect on their overall learning.
3: Hey, it's Stacy. Um, so the exciting thing that I've enjoyed sharing this year um, is Pear Deck. And I know you guys did an episode um, about the Perfect Pear Deck presentations and talked a lot about the product. But I think it um, needs to be mentioned again because it's such a powerful tool. And all of the AEAs in Iowa purchased it. Um, so all of our teachers have free premium accounts to use and um, help engage their students um, with some content that they create. So if you're unfamiliar with Pear Deck, It is an add-on that goes with Google Slides or layers on your PowerPoint presentation that basically um, you have the content on your slide, and then it gives each student their own copy of the slide to interact with, and then in the teacher dashboard, you can see what their responses are. So pretty exciting um, as a formative assessment tool, um, so I can ask some questions or get feedback and see what students know. I can use it for progress monitoring um, as kids are interacting with the content too and just track that. Um, And one of the other nice things is I can add um, some audio components to the slide. So if there's additional information that I would like students to listen to, um, I can add that pretty easily on those slides. Uh, I like it for engagement because I could have it um, being used in a hybrid environment this year. So if I wanted to take my whole class through something teacher-paced, I could. So the kids are going through it, and I prompt them slide by slide by slide. And then I have the information that I could quick reteach or reinforce um, what they're doing or share. Uh, Another thing, though, that's pretty nice is that student-paced. So if kiddos are at home, they could go through the slide um, at a student pace and then all of that information is coming back to me as the teacher to take a look at in that teacher dashboard. So lots of stuff you can do with Pear Deck and again I think it's pretty intuitive once you get started. Um, it's a simple add-on like I said in slides that um, you just add it, add it and then you can go in and look and there's some content actually already built in so you can pull content or layer it on slides or activities that you already might have. Um, So I'm just talking about it right now, and I would say go back and listen to the Perfect Pear Deck Presentations podcast um, that Jonathan and Mindy did earlier this year, but also there's some more resources. So our team has put together the Pear Deck Handbook that has videos and gifts to show a teacher how to do different things. Like I said, lots you can do with student-paced or teacher-paced Um, and a bunch of different ideas there, as well as a one-pager that's a nice little overview just to help get you started. Um, I am going to say that this month of December, there's been a blog series to think about how to use Pear Deck and some of those key features um, and applications. So take a look at our um, dlgwaea.org slash blog because that has some ideas too. Oh, we are thinking too about offering a course um, to help you think about how to engage students and collecting formative assessment and just really um, thinking about how you can use um, Pear Deck for that. So if you're interested in that at all, let us let us know at Grantwood, um, And then if you're also looking for templates and ideas, teachers are always out there sharing. So there is a Pear Deck Orchard, um, and this, all these resources that I'm talking about, Jonathan and Mindy will link in the show notes, um, but check out the Pear Deck Orchard too for some templates just as a nice springboard to get you started. So there's my nugget, Pear Deck. <laughs>
1: All right. So two great nuggets there. Diana talking a little bit about Google Forms and Stacy sharing some information around learning for Pear Deck that our team has put together.
0: Yeah, I think, um, you know, Google Forms is one of those ones that, um, you know, you could you write blog posts on for like 101 ways to use Google Forms. Yeah. And people still do that because people keep yeah, still right. thinking of new ways to use Google Forms. So I appreciate Diana sharing some some new ideas for that. As for Pear Deck, well, you know, we love the Pear Deck here, don't we?
1: Yeah, we do. We do. Pear Deck and a pear tree. Okay, so I guess is it my turn to go first? All right, so my next nugget is actually a nugget I share every year this time of year, and it's Google's Santa Tracker. So if you haven't been there, it looks, I think, I'm not sure they made it. In the past, they had changed it every year. I feel like maybe it went with Google Expeditions a little bit, and it did not get changed much from last year, but still a great place for kids to go to have some fun, do some coding, Watch for Santa. It's good stuff.
0: Yeah, I just went there and it um, oh yeah. it gave me a fright oh, because it, it was straight yeah. into it right away. But yeah, it doesn't mess around. Santa and <laughs> Mrs. Claus did have masks on. <laughs> So that's changed (laughs) from last year. Yes, they do.
1: They do have masks on. That's right. (laughs) And you know what? I'm not – I mean, I go into it every year. I felt like it looked the same as last year. And maybe it just has some of the same components, but then some of the stuff changes too. I don't know. I didn't click around on it too much just because I knew I wanted to share it. But Google Santa Tracker, don't forget.
0: Yep. It's a fun one to play this time of year. They have games and different ways to keep track of Santa, which is important at this time of year. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) All right, so my uh, I think it's going to be my last nugget for now, but um, mm-hmm. I think this is a good one. This is the M-hmm app.
1: Mm-hmm. Have you mm-hmm. heard of
0: mm-hmm before? Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I When I saw it, I'm like, I feel like I've seen this before, but no, you're going to tell me about it. I don't remember.
0: So mm-hmm is a way to present your slides, your iOS device, or your screen as a virtual background inside of Zoom. Or Google Meet, I guess. So okay. if you had a, a slide deck in uh, Google Slides or PowerPoint or Keynote or something like that, that could mm-hmm. be your virtual background inside the hmm app. And you oh. just, as you're talking about your slides, you're not presenting and sharing your screen. It just is your background. And you are there huh. on the screen. Now, if you are too big for your slides, you can shrink (laughs) yourself into like the corner and move yourself around if you're in front of words, or they have a transparency mode that just like makes you go invisible. So if you can see your slides and then bring yourself back again. Oh, my. Um, So it could be a slide deck in the background. It could be images in the background. It could be your iOS device in the background. It can Mm. be basically whatever you want it to be um, in the background through this app here. Um, they have a Mac app that is out now and available for anyone to use. They are working on the Windows one, but it's currently in beta, so you have to join the beta program for Windows. But one oh. of the nice things about this is they have a free one year of premium for teachers. Oh. Hmm. so if you are a teacher and you're looking for other ways to engage your students on zoom calls i mean you've done the custom yeah. cursor and you've done all of those and the <laughs> students are over those now <laughs> and you're moving on okay i need more bells and whistles oh, you funny. need the mm-hmm app to um, put yes. yourself in front of your slides <laughs> or your nice. ios device or your whatever website and things you're presenting on so mm-hmm. there you go. Mm-hmm, indeed. Mm-hmm. Every time we say, mm-hmm, we're giving them a little plug on the on the That's app there. So the nice thing is if you apply for the teacher account, I got mine in like 15 minutes. Sometimes you have to oh, wait nice. days or chase them up later. It just came straight yeah. back from customer support. It goes, yep, your account's now active. And I'm like, oh, okay, thank you.
1: That'd be kind of a fun one to try. I don't know what iTech is going to look like in the spring, but if they do some virtual um, presentations, that might be a fun one to try Definitely. and just... For something different. We'll have to remember that. You
0: can also co-present it with another oh. person. I think they're called a Yay. co-pilot or something. So you yeah. both get the slides at the same time and you both get control of what's going on.
1: Nice. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Let's try that one. That'd be fun. Yep. All right. So we're going to hear from our last teammate. Last but not least, it is Lynn Kleinmeyer. And she's going to be sharing something that she learned about at ISTE as well.
8: Hey, everyone. Okay, and true Lynn fashion, I couldn't pick just one thing. So instead, my Tech Nugget gift to you is the package of graphic design resources. Those of you who know me well know that graphic design is my happy place. So I'm really hoping these make you happy. The first Tech Nugget I want to share with you is I think pretty timely. We're in the world of virtual meetings, um, and so oftentimes I use virtual backgrounds as a way to not only amuse myself, but also mask the fact that my home office is in my guest bedroom. So one of my favorite graphic design tools, Canva, has just released Zoom virtual backgrounds, um, templates for you that are ready made and ready to implement into your next Zoom meeting. I love that they pull from Unsplash, which is one of my favorite places to find copyright-free images. And the thing I love about this is that they are already sized so that they're going to work well with your background. Sometimes when I pull things into my Zoom account, the the image doesn't quite fit the way that I want it to. So these are all ready-made, and there's a bunch of other templates too, not just images they also have the template for you to create your own. So I just had to share that because if you're like me um, and you need something different, this is a great place to go. The other tech nugget that I have for you comes from an ISTE session that I attended with Sadie Lewis. Sadie is an instructional innovation specialist down in the St. Louis area. And I immediately knew that this was the perfect session for me when Sadie started talking about the importance of graphic design, um, especially when it comes to you know sharing your presentations and things like that. And she said that your slideshows should be your backup dancers. So I already knew that she was after my heart when it came to graphic design. So Sadie's session kind of talked about this idea of how none of our graphic design tools, Canva, Adobe, any of those kinds of things, teach graphic design we need to. And so she shared as part of her session, this amazing wakelet that has all sorts of graphic design resources, helping you to think strategically about everything from layout and balance and color, all of these things that those of us who maybe have a journalism background, maybe are familiar with. But she did it in a really interesting way and talked about how you can authentically teach your students some of these graphic design elements. um, within your own classroom context. And so she gave a great example that was speaking to my English language arts heart of how she works with teachers to um, do a little character analysis when they're reading a, a novel as a class and used, and have her students use um, things like text types to analyze characters. So it's kind of that double whammy of you're doing some deep analysis while also teaching some graphic design skills, and so within this session, she also shared a bunch of other great resources, all linked within this wakelet. Things that uh, I didn't realize, like you can go to canva.com/backslash/colors, or if you're using Adobe, go to color.adobe.com, and you can actually drop in an image that you're going to be using, um, for example, in a presentation, and it will pull out colors and the hex codes for you to be able to use um, as part of your graphic design element. So there were so many treasures in this session, and she's included those in our wakelet. So major shout out to Sadie. So like I said, I just had to share a little of my graphic design nerdiness with all of you, and I hope that this makes you super happy. Happy designing.
0: So lots of great ideas there from Lynn definitely. I think yeah. it fits in well with uh just mm mm-hmm, the last <laughs> <laughs> i showed. So she's talking about virtual backgrounds inside of Zoom as well. But um we've got links to the Wakelet that she saw as well from the yeah. city's uh, design studio. Yeah. Um I love those types of resources too. She was quick to share those with me because she knows I, yeah. I like those things too. But I know you Did you, you do end up too.
1: watching that presentation or not?
0: It is bookmarked in my to-do list to go back. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It was definitely one of the best ones I saw, for sure. All right, so I do have one extra nugget that is not education-related at all. Okay. But I feel like it's timely. And the more I looked into it, the more interested I became. So I have been seeing a couple of my friends sharing this thing called Postable on Facebook. So what Postable is is a program where you it you send a link out and people add their addresses to your address book or you can put them in yourself. But so what my friends have been doing is sharing the link to their contact book and um their friends then can go in and add their address and their birthday whatever. So what Postable also does for you is allows you to design cards. So right now it's popular because of holiday cards. Mm-hmm. And you can go in and design your Christmas card or end-of-the-year card or Valentine's or whatever you would like to send out. Then, and you pay by card, but um, your stamp is included, your addressing of the envelopes are included, your envelopes are included. So it's uh, it takes care of all of it for you and it mails it. So, like, the cards never come to your house. You don't have to address anything. You don't have to put a stamp on anything. It takes care of the whole process for you. Huh. So, I thought that was really cool and I looked into it, although I really enjoy it. Like, I enjoy, like, getting them all out and putting them in the mailbox and I just think that's fun. But what I also saw, which I thought was amazing, is you can program birthday cards to your people, and it will just send them out on the right time for the whole year. So I could go in and, you know, set up a card for my dad and for my sisters and my brother-in-laws and, you know, my nieces and nephews and my friends. And it will send them out to them when they need to receive it. So you would never be late with a birthday card again.
0: And it would just bill you when it sends you out, the card? Yeah, Yeah, yeah.
1: And the cards themselves, like... I mean, I'm always kind of picky about how much I'll pay for a Christmas card because I. the thing about it is Christmas cards will stay up. I feel like people leave those up or, you know, they look at them a couple of times through the, you know, holiday season, whatever. So they're a dollar. I think the lowest one I saw was a dollar and the most expensive one I saw was $4. So like when I think about this, though, when I purchase a birthday card, it's always more than $4, I feel like. Mm-hmm. The price of cards these days is ridiculous. My wife
0: and I don't buy each other cards anymore. I
1: know. (laughs) Why would you, right? So, yeah, I just normally now buy like blank cards with no message and then I'll just handwrite a note in it and send it off. But if you think about it, like if you go and buy, you have to go to a store and buy it. You have to spend the time of picking one out. You have to buy the stamp. You have to make sure it's on time. Like even $4 a card when you think about it is still a steal. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, this is called Postable. It's probably not something you're going to do maybe for this holiday season, but Valentine's coming right around the corner. If you send Valentine's, I know some people send Valentine's instead of holiday, end of the year holiday cards. Um, I don't know. I find it very intriguing. It's a great business plan.
0: I'm looking at their patented real handwriting fonts that look like I the know. real thing and they really do they yes. have it on it like the really front does. the front of the card <laughs> even when it writes your address in the corner and everything it's yeah. like this looks yeah. like somebody handwrote a card for me yeah. this is yeah. magic yes okay
1: there you go that's a big nugget right there's
0: a nugget right there that's for <laughs> sure all right all right so i think we're done yes I think we're done for 2020, Mindy.
1: For 2020. Yeah. See you later. Kick it to the curb.
0: It's not one we'll uh, look back on fondly, I don't think.
1: Probably not. Probably not.
0: But good things to come in the new year.
1: Yes. That's right.
0: We will be back with um, a podcast sometime in 2021, <laughs> let's just say, right? Yes. I mean, you never yeah. know. It's just going to randomly drop in your podcast feed yeah. and you mm-hmm. will be hopefully happy to see Surprised. that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> In the meantime, you can uh, email us, podcast at gwaa.org. We know Mindy's not on Twitter, but I am right. at Jonathan Wiley. Um, so you can send me your messages for Mindy. I think that's what we decided mm-hmm. last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm um, secretary. Yep. So until next time.
1: This has been the EdTech Takeout. We hope it hit the spot.
0: For more information on today's episode, please visit dlgwaea.org slash podcast.